our campaign is called Worthy. Uh, we've been talking about some more informal forms of worship in the first half of this campaign, about things like how we're inspired to worship by creation. When we look up at the stars, when we see the beauty of creation on a nice summer night, we can just be left with a sense of awe. When we're struck with the, the loving kindness of another person towards us, when somebody acts so faithfully, so kind, so good to us, we can just be struck with awe and draw and be drawn into worship of God through those things. In this, the second half of the campaign, we're talking about more formal, churchy forms of worship. Uh, yes, or last week, we, we talked about how these informal or these churchy forms of worship, they're not worship in and of themselves. Only God is to be worshipped and praised. We said he is jealous for our worship. And so often we give our worship to other idols instead of to God. Jesus tells us that the worship that the Father, worshipers the Father are, is seeking is worshipers who are worshiping in spirit and in truth. So we talked about that. How just singing in and of itself isn't worship. Uh, we use worship in a lot of different senses, but... <laughs> We sometimes use it as just that part of the service where we're singing. But that's not the genuine worship, the, the total adoration to God that we're called to. That, Jesus says, is done in spirit and in truth. It's in our spirit that has been awakened to God by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so then when we worship God, something deep within us is connecting to him. And when we sing, that's supposed to be a vehicle that leads us to that genuine worship. It is not the genuine worship itself. The genuine worship is in spirit. And as Jesus says, in truth, when we worship God according to who he truly is. And that's why we must open scripture to see God's uh, wonderful, his glorious, his gracious self-disclosure to us. So we know who he is and we can worship him in truth as well as in the spirit that has been awakened to God by the Holy Spirit of God. So that's what genuine worship looks like. There's this false sense of worship, and then there's this genuine worship. And so often these churchy things that we do, like gathering together, like singing, like taking communion together, like hearing the word of God together, can become the objects of worship in and of themselves, and then become an idol. These are vehicles. These are vehicles that are meant to bring us to genuine worship of God, which is the true destination. So don't trade worship of God for a cheap substitute. Even these good churchy things, they're cheap substitutes for genuine worship of the one true God. Yeah, today and for the rest of this campaign, we're going to kind of look at some churchy things <laughs> uh, that tend to be idols. They can become idols. Or again, the intention is that these are supposed to be vehicles to lead us to genuine worship but all too often they become the object of worship themselves. I grew up in the church. I was a church kid. I was like the churchiest of church kids. I was a pastor's kid. <laughs> and I attended a Christian school. So six days a week for like some days, up to upwards of like 10 hours a day, I was at church. I knew the best hiding places at the church. I knew where the food was at the church. When I was hungry for a snack, I would just go find the food, right? Uh, I knew all of the nooks and crannies of the church. I knew how church worked, all of that stuff. I was deeply ingrained in the church life and culture. And one of the things that the church really impressed on me as a young person was the 
how essential the practice of devotional time was. We talk a lot in the church about how important it is to have our devotional time or our quiet time. And as I've grown <laughs> older, I've realized the church is 100% correct to impress that on me. I feel like so often we only talk about our former church experience in the negative sense, right? And say all the things that we complain about from our church experience. My church, my parents did a lot of things right. And I'm eternally grateful for that. And this was one of them. They not only encouraged me to do it, in high school when I was straying from my faith, the one thing that my dad would ask me was, are you reading your Bible? <laughs> are you spending time with God? Because he knew that if I got there, and if I would spend time with God, the Holy Spirit would begin to transform me. And I wasn't, and I wasn't listening. <laughs> and that played out in my behavior and the way I lived. And I've come to know and come to realize the truth of that, just how important this time with God is. Again, we refer to it as devotional time, quiet time, kind of same thing. Uh, I like the term private worship. Our good friend Chuck Beckler, who comes in and preaches here often, he, he kind of turned me on to that term of private worship, and he uses it, he got it from the old dead guys, the old Puritan preachers, and he loves it. And I love that term simply because devotionals, they tend to carry the connotation of just reading something to learn something. Quiet time tends to carry the connotation of just sitting with God in prayer. Private worship, it, it's broader, and it carries both of those in your time with God. This term, Chuck uses it, he describes it as creative, obedient, giving of adoration. I hope you're hearing that term adoration again and again. Okay, Last week I quoted, I quoted Evelyn Underhill, her definition of worship was a total adoring response to God. Chuck writes in his little book, The, the Art of Private Worship, he says, devotions in quiet time, they have become for many of us daily, religious, guilt-ridden obligations that have the potential to become extremely unprofitable. I'm going to read that one more time. He calls our devotions in quiet time, they have become for many of us daily, religious, guilt-ridden obligations. So my prayer for us this today, this week going forward, is that your private worship, your devotions, your quiet time, whatever we call it, I don't care, your private worship would not feel like a guilt-ridden obligation. And I, didn't, I don't think Adam knew what our topic was today, but the word that he spoke of how God is nearer than we know. <laughs> I think that word is for us today, this week, that to know that God is near to you this week. That God wants to commune with you. And we can when we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us. We can commune with him at work, around your kitchen table, here at church, we can be with the Godhead. What a beautiful mystery. May that never feel like a guilt-ridden religious obligation to sit and be with God. My prayer for us is that that time would come alive, that that time would be joy-producing, that you would long to go and meet with God. When can I go and meet with God, the psalmist declares. He wants to be with God. Just be in his presence. 
My prayer isn't that it would just be like the quick 10 minutes that you have before your breakfast gets done. And then you got to get, get out the door and get to your day. But it would be a time where you just long to get there. You can't wait to be with God, to read his word, to hear what he has to say, to worship him, to pray, to commune with him, and to be with him. So what I want to go through today is just three simple components of private worship. Number one is surrender. And these, as I read through scripture on worship, these ideas come through the scripture to us. Romans 12.1, Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. He has just spent 11 chapters talking about God's mercy and salvation. And how we were sinners, yet God chose us, and God saved us, and God redeemed us simply because of his love and his mercy for us. Eleven chapters Paul has spent talking about this. It's long. It's lengthy. He says a lot to say about God's mercy. And he says, in view of all of that, here's what we do. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's one of my favorite images in the scripture. One that I return to often. I love to just close my eyes and imagine things. So I invite you to do that right now. Just close your eyes and just imagine yourself carrying to the altar your body, all that you are, everything that you are, your time, your wealth, your ambitions, your goals, your dreams, your efforts, your talents, everything, carrying it to the altar and laying it down before God. Saying, God, take all that I am, take me, I am yours. I'm laying my life down as a living sacrifice for you. So that what I do from this day forward, may it be your will and not my own. You can open your eyes. <laughs> my prayer is that that would be a regular picture that you have in your life. That as you begin to take more and more control, the Christian life is a, it tends to be a struggle for control <laughs> of Here's what I want to control. Here's what I want my life to be. And then surrender and say, okay, God, I tried to control it. I failed. I'm realizing I can't control that. And I shouldn't be. Even the things that we can control in our life, like our job, our wealth, our, what we do with our money, what we do with our time, we surrender those to God. Say, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. As Jesus taught us to pray. That's why Jesus put it in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because our tendency is so to be drawn to doing my will and not God's will. And instead we must surrender. And Paul says this is our true and proper worship that is holy and pleasing to God. It's like an aroma going up to God. Us laying our life down as a sacrifice, as an offering, a living sacrifice. So that what we do from this day forward is under the umbrella of God's will, not just what we want. And that should be a part of our prayer life. Again, that's why Jesus told, taught us to pray that way. So that it would constantly be before us. That we need to surrender to God's will daily. Paul goes on. We're going to come back to this later. I'm just going to read it briefly now. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Okay? So we have already been conformed to the pattern of this world. We need to be transformed. We need to be changed. 
by the renewing of your mind. And we do, that happens. These are passive verbs. Okay, note that. That happens when we lay our life down as a living sacrifice to God. We don't do this in and of ourselves. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So that we know God's will and we can follow it and pursue it. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The results of this life being laid down is transformation, changed life, renewed life, renewed mind. And that only comes in the beautiful surrender and humble submission to Jesus Christ as our Lord. Next one in our three components of private worship is obedience. Obedience. So when we come into private worship, we surrender all of ourselves to God, and as a component of that even, we obey. We commit to obeying what we find in what? Obeying what? Obeying God's word. So reading God's word has to be a part of our private worship experience. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, this is a very common verse. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. Theonoustos, it's this word that Paul kind of just made up. Uh, but we get what it means, right? It's breathed out by God. Scripture is God's word. Is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God, remember, surrender, we're servants of God, we've surrendered to him, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture equips us. Scripture reveals God's will to us. And it's useful for teaching us, for rebuking us, for correcting us when we are wrong. So we hold ourselves under the authority of Scripture when we come to Scripture in private worship and training us in righteousness. And this is a joyful thing. <laughs> this should be a joyful thing. We think of rebuking and correction and laws and rules as restrictions of our freedom. Because in our culture, we have such a high value, such an over-realized value of freedom that we struggle so mightily to surrender to the will of God and to the words of Scripture. But the psalmist writes in Psalm 119, which the whole psalm is about God's word and how good God's word is and how the psalmist loves God's word. He writes, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. I delight in your decrees. He says it time and time again throughout this psalm about how we ought to delight in the word of God. That we're not wandering. We're not creating for ourselves, wondering what God would have us do. He's told us. He's revealed to us the path to abundant life. And it is in obedience and following his words and his way. Therefore, our private worship, it has to involve some form of engagement with God's word. We engage with God's word in a lot of different ways. And I have been edified, I have been so blessed by engaging with God's word in different ways throughout my life in private worship. We can study it to gain knowledge. That's where we tend to go to first. The Bible just becomes a puzzle for us to uh, solve and to figure out. That's not the only way we engage with it. We read it to identify with the experiences conveyed in there. If you've ever gone through a time of suffering and pain and you've read the Psalms, like, wow, <laughs> these folks know. They know what I'm going through. The whole range of emotions and the human experiences there is found in the Psalms. 
we see ourselves in the stories that we read. When we read through the Gospels, we see ourselves in, in guys like Peter, James, and John. Maybe even James and John's mom saying, hey, when you enter into your kingdom, can my two boys here <laughs> sit in the places of power? We see ourselves there and how we tend to totally miss the way of Jesus when it's right in front of us. So we identify with the characters in the stories of Scripture. We hold ourselves accountable to the ethical imperatives that we find there in the Proverbs that tell us how, what the wise path is, what the way to abundant life is. When we read through the epistles and we find how I'm not living up to the standards of Jesus. And again, back to the scripture, it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. We're encouraged to trust in the truths that we find there even more, that even when everything seems so hopeless, so bleak, the, the condition of the world is so desperate and impoverished, we can find hope in the resurrection. We find hope that Jesus will return one day, that he promises to make all things new, and we can start to trust in those a little bit more when we dive into God's word daily. Again, our private worship should not be this boring, rote, mundane task of just checking something off a list. We are reading the very words of God that are breathed out by God, that are guiding us towards the path of abundant life. It is a joy for us to engage with Scripture, to meditate on it, because God has revealed to us His way. I feel like I have to address some of these briefly. <laughs> and I don't want this to be a guilt trip, okay? But I think we have, to, we have to come to grips with the excuses that we give ourselves, okay? So, moment of honesty with you guys because I love you. Uh, we today have more freedom than any culture in the history of the world to decide what to do with our time, right? And yet, I hear over and over again how difficult it is for us to get into God's word. Again, not a guilt trip. But we binge watch TV shows, right? We... We spend so much time doing other stuff that is not as fruitful, and we know that. But we just kind of get caught up into the rhythm of the day, into the culture. Because remember, we've been formed by the culture. We need to be transformed by surrendering to Jesus. But so often we tend to struggle to engage with God's word in any meaningful sense. So why is that? I just invite you to reflect on that and ask yourself that question. Why? Why? Why is that? What's really going on in my heart that... I find it a struggle to read the words of God. I think, honestly, for most of us, when we come down to it, we'll come to the realization of, like, we just don't want to. There's other stuff that's more exciting, that's more interesting for me to do, and we just don't want to. And so my prayer for us is that the Spirit of God would make those times come alive for you so that you would desire it. That the Spirit would just fill you so that the words of Scripture come alive to you that you know you're reading the truth of God's word, and that time would be a joy. 
you would again say like the psalmist, when can I go and meet with God? That'd be the best time of your day when you get to sit and be with God. So be honest with yourself is my one point <laughs> I'm trying to make. Don't give yourself fake excuses to just keep your, your pattern of behavior up, right? Next component. Oh, man, I thought I had these better prepared in the slides. Okay, <laughs> communion. So next component of, of private worship is just communion with God. What I mean by communion is the first def definition in the new Oxford American Dictionary. It is the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. The sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings. So we're not referring to it as communion as we take as an ordinance. But we're sharing to just the exchange of intimate thoughts and feelings with God. This we experience in private worship. And the psalm that I've been quoting time and time again is Psalm 27. David writes this. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. Listen to his heart. This is what I crave, I desire, I long for it. If I could ask anything from God, this is it. What is it? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Just wants to be with God in his presence, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. He just wants to commune with God. There's so many good aspects of worshiping God. There's serving God, there's doing work for God, there's loving and serving others. But this, just being with God, is one of the greatest joys of life with him. Just being in his presence. Practicing the presence of God throughout your day, knowing that God is with you wherever you go. But those times of private worship are like intense times of practice. To where you say, okay, <laughs> In order to remember this throughout my day, I'm going to schedule some time and set it apart, and I'm just going to sit and be with God. I'm going to direct my thoughts to him. Contemplative prayer is the idea. Just sit and be with God. Put your focus on him, and whatever he draws your attention to, I guarantee you, you will never run out of things to think about and admire about God. <laughs> just direct your attention to him and say, God, what, what do you want me to contemplate today? Is it your goodness, your loving kindness, your mercy? your unmatched power, your creation, your love, your charity, your justice. I'm just going to sit and think about you for a while and just be with you. The results of this time, uh, I should say this, sometimes God brings in those times of just being with him transformation Sometimes you find that there's power. I'm going to talk about it here. Whatever. I'm getting ahead of myself. Oh, boy. Okay. The results of this private worship, as Romans 12, 1 through 2, reminds us, is power. Power for transformation. If you're stuck, if you're stuck in your Christian life and it feels like a, it's just a, like a boring religious ritual, it's guilt-ridden obligation, as Chuck says, that you feel like this is, you're just stuck. 
You've been wrestling with the same behavioral issues, the same unhealthy thought patterns time and time again that aren't true according to Scripture. I invite you to dive into private worship. In this time, in this experience, we find the power of God for transformation. Remember, as Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That follows immediately from what he says about offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is a result. This transformation comes as a result of surrender and genuine worship to God. Offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice, and you'll experience the power of God in transformation. We'll never be perfect this side of heaven, okay? I'm not saying that. But you'll experience God's work through the Holy Spirit in you, forming the fruit of the Spirit in you. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is one of my favorite verses. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, contemplate the Lord's glory. That's what he's getting at. This beholding the glory of the Lord, contemplating the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image. That is what is happening when we contemplate the Lord's glory with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is a deeply spiritual thing, this transformational process. We can't just will our way to being better behaved. It doesn't work that way. It's deeply spiritual. You have to commune with God. You have to sit in the presence of God to experience the power of the Holy Spirit transforming you. So in private worship, we experience power. We also just experience the presence of God. Okay, sometimes in private worship, we're convicted, we're taught, we learn, we grow. Sometimes it meets us in our moment of need to give us hope, comfort, encouragement. Sometimes we just sit with God. Sometimes we just sit with him in his presence. And that's the greatest joy, the greatest experience that we can have. As a pastor, I've often walked into situations that are so tragic, like the death of a young mom with two kids in high school, a daughter who's at an age where she's forming her identity and she loses her mom. Her mom's dying on, dying on her bed from cancer. What words, what words do you say? in a moment like that. There's nothing I can say to make it better. So in those times I found the best gift that I can give is my presence. And then just point them to the presence of God, where God will just sit with them, which is what they really need. So I can just be another vehicle for God's presence, for them to engage with God, to just sit with him and to just be with him, to know that he is with them through the darkest valley, as Psalm 23 tells us. To just know that God is with you, and that is the greatest experience that we can have. But I can't do that for you. So we need to engage with this time of private worship. Again, this is a vehicle to bring you to worship. This is not a guilt-ridden obligation that is in and of itself worship. Reading scripture is not worship. Praying is not worship. If your heart is connected to God in spirit and in truth, if you've surrendered all of yourself to him, you're worshiping. You're worshiping. So my prayer for us is that this would be a joy-filled experience of communing with God. 
being with him, sensing his presence, that we would long to be in the presence of God daily. For he alone is worthy. Would you allow me to pray for you? And then we're going to go. We're going to invite Christiana up. She's going to share her story. And we're going to have a baptism. Father, Lord God, I just pray your blessing over us. That, Lord, your spirit would quicken, awaken us to the joy of being in your presence. That, Lord, our time spent with you in devotions and quiet time and private worship, Lord, would not be a guilt-ridden obligation. Lord, this would be a time that we long for, a time where we go to meet with you, to be with you, where we surrender to you and say, Spirit of God, do your will. What are you calling me to today? Speak through me. Speak through your word. Guide me into your will, Lord. Transform me more into the image of Christ. And Lord, in that time, we would find the rich, abundant life that you have called us to. Jesus, it is a joy to be with you. Thank you for the incarnation, for being made man, for revealing God to us. Thank you, Lord God, for your word that reveals who you are, that reveals how we ought to live and how we can commune with you. Thank you for the gift of your spirit who awakens us to you, Lord, who abides in us, who dwells with us, calling us to yourself, revealing the truth of scripture. reassuring us of the truth of your word in those times of need when we are so desperate for you. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.